where you are. It don't matter to anybody. But it's a lie. Bible says, no, I lift up my eyes in hell. You're there. There's simply not a moment, not a day of your life that you have ever been alone. If all the world forsakes you, every family member, every friend, every person you know turns their back on you, God is still for you. You are not ever. Oh, I'm messed up. All messed up. All y'all messed up. I told you it was Just talking about team here. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to throw team see if they know it. We know team here. so glad. This world can make you feel alone. It's like Marshall's law. Yeah, Marshall and I don't know. This is actually, actually it was John's computer's fault. He's right. Where's John? I'm so thankful for John's computer. You have your Bibles. You'd like to go with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 18. after church. Let's not forget, today is Missions Commitment Sunday. So God's not already moved on your heart. I invite you to open it up and let him start messing with it this morning. Like, the nation of the earth through us, according to your 
and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I'll fetch a morsel of bread and comfort ye your hearts. After that you shall pass on, for therefore are ye come to your servant. And they said, so do as thou hast said. Abraham simply in extending hospitality, he recognizes that these are highly honored guests, and he wants to make sure that they're well taken care of. Abraham hastened to the tent of the Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran to the herd and fetched the calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man, and he hastened to dress it. He took butter and milk and the calf which he dressed and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. It's, you know, it sounds kind of like something you It's just sit down, relax a little while, and get the best food and put it out before you. Just keep your feet up and take, take a break. They didn't come just to take a break. The next verse says, they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. He said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, and saying, After I waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also. Well, I know this is real deep and spiritual, but some of you ladies, if somebody came up and said, You're going to have a baby next year. <laughs> See? <laughs> they didn't even have to fill in the blanks. That's what's going on right here. Sarah's old, Abraham's old. You've never passed that season of life, and here are some men standing outside saying, about nine months or so now, I'm going to come back and, and I'm going to bring a baby shower present. Sarah laughed within herself. And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I the surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laughed not, for she was afraid, and he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. What, what, what is all this stuff going on? It's not the first time Abraham's had an encounter with God. In fact, it was, it was a good ways before this that God had already made a promise to Abraham that you'll be the father of many nations. And time has passed, and years have passed, and circumstances have passed, and they're old. And biological processes aren't working the way that they once worked, and nobody's had a baby. It sure would seem like the promise of God is going to have to come to pass in some other way, because Sarah's not going to give birth any longer. And so that's what's going on when the Lord says, is anything too hard for God? What's taking place in this chapter is God's reaffirmation of his promise. He's reminded him, Abraham, I told you, you're going to be the father of many nations. You're going to have a son of your wife, Sarah, and all of the families of the earth are going to be blessed in you. Isn't it great when God does things like this? Isn't it great? I mean, I, I know the scripture doesn't say this, but somewhere along the line, somebody had to doubt 
And we already see in Scripture that they can cop with this idea. Oh, that maybe it's the will of God for it to be done for thy servant. So, so here goes Abraham marrying Hagar as well and, and having the son Ishmael. And God has to later tell him, that, that's all right, but that's not my plan. You're going to have a great nation through Isaac, your son, which is the boy that came from Sarah. So obviously somewhere along the way, Abraham was doubting and wondering exactly how this was all going to go down. And God just shows up out of the midst of his doubt and his worry and his concern and reminds him, Abraham, I'm going to do exactly what I said I did. And so Abraham has this encounter, and if it was like you and I, it'd be time to build the house, it'd be time to put up the white picket fence, and you're going to go pick out a stroller next week, because the Lord just showed up at my house and said, he's going to give me a son through Sarah. But the story continues beyond this point. It's not just this reaffirmation of God's promise. It's not the end of what we see. We don't... Jump to the next chapter, and the next chapter says, and after the time of life, Sarah brought forth Isaac. We see something else here. Something else is added to this story. Genesis 18 and 16 says, and the men rose up from thence, from being there with Abraham, and looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them all the way. So here's Abraham kind of escorting them towards Sodom because that's where they said they were going. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed? What's God up to? What is, he, what is he hiding? What is this secret that he's talking with these angelic beings saying, Do I tell Abraham or not? Verse 20 says, And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they've done all together according to the cry of it which is coming to me. And if not, I will go. They didn't just come down to make Abraham feel better. That was a stop along the way. But they didn't come down just to, to remind him, oh, oh, yeah, by the way, God said he's going to do exactly what he said he's going to do. There was something else afoot that the Lord was up to. Because he brings up this, should I let Abraham in on this or not? And the men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom. So, so the men that were with, with, this, with the Lord, they went on towards Sodom. They headed towards their, their mission. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. God has come down with judgment. He has come down with justice. Sodom and Gomorrah's time is up. The mercies run out. Just at the end of the road for them, their evil has risen up into the presence of God, and the sun is about to is about to go down on the on the wickedness of these cities. But then this interesting thing happens. The angels turn their faces towards Sodom and, and head off into the sunset. But Abraham just stands there. I have found where the the sense of the scripture here isn't so much that Abraham stood there while they walked away, but that the Lord stood there 
And Abraham stood with him. The Lord stayed after the angels had, had walked away. And because the Lord stayed, because who leaves the Lord's presence? Because the Lord stayed, Abraham stands there in the presence of God. But why? Why, why has this happened? What, what is God waiting for? <coughs> the angels are going on about their business. What is God waiting for? Why is he just standing there? Perhaps he is waiting on something or somebody to do something. So there's a lot of times in life when we feel like God is standing still and God is not moving and God is not doing anything in our life when in those times God is waiting on us to do something He wants us to do. I mean, after all, a number of years later, when Israel would stand at the edge of, of the Reed Sea and Moses would say, stand still. God speaks to Moses and says, why are you standing still? Tell them to go forward. The waters aren't going to part until there's an evil that depart. Let them start heading in that direction. There's times in your life and in mine that God is simply standing there waiting on something. But what is the something? Verse 23 says, And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous and the wicked? God had unfolded this plan before him. He had told him that the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah has come up before me. And I brought my, my, my angels of judgment and justice to come down with me. And if the report is true, then I will destroy those cities. He has revealed to him that judgment has now come for the evildoers in Sodom and Gomorrah. And then stands there in front of Abraham. I don't know how much time passed. Maybe it was just a couple of seconds. Maybe it was half an hour. Maybe it was half a day. I don't know. But after some period of time, Abraham speaks up and says, Will you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Why did God just tell him about all this judgment and then just stand there waiting? Perhaps he was waiting to see if Abraham would do anything about it. Abraham begins to talk. Peradventure, there be fifty righteous within the city. Will thou also destroy and not spare the place of the fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from me to do after this manner, to slay the righteous and the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Abraham's no fool. Abraham knows who he's talking to. The Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sins. He'll save the whole city. There's only fifty people. 
Abraham answered and said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord with them but dust and ashes. Here mentioned there lack five of the fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for lack of five? And he said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. He spake unto him yet again. And said, Peradventure, there shall be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty's sake. And he said unto him, oh, 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 let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure, there shall be thirty found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Behold now, I've spoken, I've taken upon me to speak to the Lord. Peradventure, there shall be twenty found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for twenty's sake. And he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry. I will speak but yet this once. Peradventure ten shall be found here. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And the Lord went his way. And as soon as he had left communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. And do you remember what's just gone on in Abraham's life? Well, this day began... God had just reaffirmed his promise to Abraham. He had just looked at Abraham and said, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you great, and I'm going to make your family great, and I'm going to make all the nations of the earth, if they're going to get any blessings, it's because they're going to come from you. There's another scripture that says, I'll bless them that bless you, and I'll curse them that curse you. God has promised him all of these things. Going back to verse 19, here we see why. It says, for I know him. I know, Abraham, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he had spoken of him. Whatever Abraham has been doing in his life, he has obviously proven to God that he will take care of business at home. He has proven to God that he valued and cared about the promise of God in his life. And that he would instruct, he would lead and teach his wife. And he would teach his son. And he would make sure that his servants obeyed the laws of God. He would do everything he could to preserve his house. But what about all the other nations? What about all the wicked sinners over there in Sodom? Would he care about them? Would he do anything about them? Would Abraham take his high and lofty position with God and use it to intercede for the lost? God had just spoken to Abraham and said, I will bless all of the nations of the earth through you. But the question was, will Abraham bless the nations? Or will he turn back and look, I've got my family. I've got the promise of God. I've got the blessings of God in my life, and that is good enough for me. Or will he do a little bit of self-examination and realize that he was chosen of God for reasons that he cannot even understand. And that God, for whatever reason, has given him righteousness. And God has allowed him the prerogative to walk up into his presence and ask 
sins. He has washed us in His blood. And He has given us the promise that every time we pray, He hears. Every time we call out to Him, He answers. But what will you do with that privilege? Will you only pray for your family? Will you only ask God to solve your problems? Will you only reach out to the Lord for mercy for those that are living in your tent? Or will you intercede? Will you look down into the valley of the lost and the dying and try the patience of God to pray for them to be saved? God knew Abraham cared about his family. Uh, that Abraham cared about his promise. But the question was, will he care about them? You see, you don't look at those scriptures and say, well, he was, he was just concerned about Lot because his nephew was there. But if that were true, why? Why start at 50? I hadn't been there long enough, had enough kids to have 50. We might look at him and think perhaps he's really only concerned about the followers of Jehovah, the ones that, that know God and, and live for Him. But after all, we're guilty sometimes of falling into that. You serve God long enough, you better learn to hate sin. And sometimes our flesh will let that hatred for sin <coughs> bleed over into some wrong feelings about the people that are sinning. So we might look at that and think, well, he's just concerned about, about the, he knows there's got to be somebody there. He's, he, his nephew's been there, and he's going to preach, right? He's going to teach, and he's going to be an example. Somebody's got to be serving God there. So maybe God will just get them out of the city, but that's not what he asked for. He asked for the whole city to be saved. God, will you destroy the good and the evil? Or will you save it for just a few? He began to dwindle the number. I don't know why he did it. Maybe he knew that the odds were in his favor unless he got down real low. I have no idea. I just know that he began to bargain with God. Why could he do such a thing? Because he was Abraham. He was a child of God. He knew God would entertain this conversation. He knew that God would listen to the things that he had to say. He knew that, that God would, would look at him in a, in a special relationship more so than anybody else. And so God was putting Abraham to the test. What are you going to do with what I've given you? What are you going to do with the anointing that I've poured out upon your head? What are you going to do with the promise to be a blessing to the nations? The first time I come up into your presence, Abraham, and I proclaim judgment on evil cities, will you or will you not do anything about it? I wish I knew how much time they stood there. 
been there before. Maybe you sat in the classroom, it was a teacher. Maybe you were in trouble, it was a parent. Maybe you were, uh, I don't know, you just in some circumstance where all of a sudden the conversation falls quiet. Just looking at you. You don't know what's going on. Here. He's called me. You don't know exactly what you're thinking. You don't know exactly what. They're waiting. The thing that came out of Abraham's mouth was intercession. People that deserved it, had it coming, and got a worthy person. Abraham basically asked God, What do I have to ask you for? He was saved. He was saved for 30. Abraham, the only ones I'm going to save out of that city are Lot. His two daughters, because all the rest of them are too far from him. He could have stopped that conversation just like this. But he let Abraham keep going down that road. Would it be important enough for me to get on an airplane 
Much, much later, we have the book of Jonah written about the prophet Jonah. God said, go to Nineveh and tell him in just a few days I'm going to judge me. Why did Jonah not go? The judgment wasn't against Jonah. It wasn't against Israel. Jonah was secure. Israel was secure. Judah was secure. Nothing bad was going to happen to them. And the Ninevites had it coming. So why didn't Jonah go? Because Jonah was a prophet of God. And Jonah knew the God he served. And Jonah knew that if he went there and he told them, and they got up, and they put on sackcloth and ashes, and they repented of their wickedness and turned from their evil ways, he knew how merciful a God he served, and God would have mercy, and God would turn his fury away, and God would forgive them. And to Jonah, he didn't want it to happen. He wanted to be rid of the enemies of God. He wanted to be done with the oppressors of God's people. Jonah failed the test. But Abraham, he's the father of our faith for a reason. He's heralded with the patriarchs of old. For a reason. Because when God put him to the test, he passed. Because Abraham realized who he was and that the only hope that the nations of this world had was going to be in him and in him alone. If he didn't pray, wouldn't nobody pray. He didn't have a son yet. His own wife was doubting the will and the purposes of God. There was only one person on planet Earth that could stop God's judgment, and it was Abraham. I've come to tell you today, church of the living God, the only thing that will save the souls of the lost is if Holy Ghost-filled men and women are willing to get down on their knees and pray for mercy. The only thing that will save souls from the devil's hell is if Holy Ghost-filled children of God rise up and preach the gospel. What will we do about it? Oh, wife of God. Hmm? Proverbs chapter 3. Last place in scripture. I, I could go all over the place, but I want to take you to where God's broken stake in me over the last few years. Proverbs 3 and 27. I saw the right. Withhold not good from them to whom it is due. When it is in the power of thine hand to do it. Say not unto thy neighbor, go and come again. And tomorrow I'll give. When thou hast it by me. You see, the Lord 
never ask you to be more than you have. Well, I know he tells us to do things on faith. There's times we do it on faith because he knows he's going to give it. But God never expects more from us than he knows within our measure we have the ability to give. Places that you might have to walk through in life that if they would destroy you forever, God will change your course. Take your route. There's all kinds of needs in this world that I can't meet. Well, I'd love to have billions of dollars. I'd love to have all the resources and the rich and famous to be able to do good with it all, but I don't have all those things. But I do have what I have. I do have the ability night and day to find a place to pray and seek the Lord for the lost. I don't have millions of dollars. Most of the time, I don't even have thousands or sometimes not even hundreds. But I do have some. And what I have today, I can give to those who need it. I may not can go to the far reaches of the earth and preach to thousands in a language that I can't even speak. But I can rise up to the pulpit and recite torture and try to pierce our hearts with a burden for the lost. On our streets and on theirs, that what we can do, what we do have, what God has put into our life, we can pass the test. And so when God looks at me when it's time to pray, He's wanting to know, what are you going to pray for? When he looks at me, when the income comes in and it's time to pay the bills and give my tithe of my offering, he's looking at me as, what are you going to spend it on? What are you going to do with what I've given you? Abraham, will you pass the test? I've given you an opportunity to stand in the gap and intercede for two cities that I'm about to destroy. Will you stand there? We can't save everybody, but we can save some. We can't change the whole world by ourselves, but we can change the part of the world that we're living in. Simply by doing what God asks us every day, every hour, every moment. We're going to talk about this as commitment in just a few minutes, but right now I want us to stand on our feet. I want us to begin to lift up our hands. I want us to begin to worship and praise God. I want us to begin to seek to the Lord in the spirit of prayer. God will begin to move on our hearts. Do you hear our hearts? Lord, what I'm going to say. Put it on him, folks. Let them hear Brandon. No, 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 no. Is you for the recording? Stupid.